you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rule your lips, shake your shoulders, shake your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Record has been pressed. Recording. Yeah. Hooray! Hooray! We did it. We are are doing it. We are in process of doing it. Yeah, we got this far, and (laughs) now we're going to keep going. (laughs) We got this. You say we've got this far, and it's been like seven seconds. (laughs) I know. Oh, my God. We have to give ourselves a little bit of a break because we are, like, butting up onto the election, and we're also butting up onto the second full moon of the month. Like, oh I don't God, know. Oh, God, really? Almost. Next weekend. I mean, shit's going to get – shit's going to be weird. It's a weird and, month. And Mercury is retrograde, so. And Mercury's retrograde. It is strange times, so I think – I think we're doing pretty good. We've got this far. (laughs) I'll just keep saying that until we feel like it's true and meaningful. Double thumbs up. Thank you. Uh, Anyway, you're listening to Good Witches, Bad (laughs) Bitches. Welcome. This is a podcast uh, where we talk about women from all over time and space on Earth. Because not, I mean, we haven't gone beyond that. And it's interesting because there is an election soon Very and soon. happening now. Um, we have both voted. We've both voted. And this podcast was initially kind of a reaction to the first one, to the one that got Trump in office because we needed an outlet. We needed to know that we still had some, um, oh my God, do you hear my cat? <laughs> Yes. We needed an outlet for our feminine rage. Things were bad that day, that first election, and they've only gotten steadily worse. And this podcast has been kind of like a life raft that we didn't necessarily know we were going to need as much, but um, Mm -hmm. has Mm -hmm. continued to keep, keep us afloat a little bit. And... I don't know. I think it's also provided me a lot of creative juice for stories and for um, my own career. Like as a literary agent, when I'm taking on books, I'm so inspired by the people that we talk about that I'm constantly looking for their stories in books that I'm considering for representation. And so I don't know. It's interesting. Like this, the next time you hear us, it will be post election and so I feel like it's worth saying it right now just because it really is like kind of I have a big no deal idea what us. my mood is gonna be in a week <laughs> yeah oh god I know but, but right now I'm in a existential dread purgatory <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a good way to put it and also so sad I hate that for us it's the worst it's just but the it's worst. cool I have my hair in messy Norma Smallwood buns, so I'm, I'm I've got two little buns on the side of my head, and I look dorky and feel 
happy about it. <laughs> yes. And you did Norma several episodes ago, so you guys should all go take a listen to that one. If you haven't yet. Or go if re-listen. That's cool, too, if you want. Yeah, that, too. But, you know, <laughs> we're here to talk about... Spookin' season. and Spookin' so season. Your lovely hosts, Deanna and Hannah... Are here to bring you another double episode for Halloween, which is now apparently our tradition, and we didn't yeah. even plan it. Yeah, I think I that's think we what both we do. just like spooky stuff, so we, neither of us want to miss out. Yeah, <laughs> which is totally fair. I think that's you know we're very fair yeah. about it, sharing yeah. the spooky. Yeah, and that's what good witches and bad bitches do. Yes, they share the spooky. Okay. My brain feels like... uh, Mud? Mud. It feels like mud. Mud brain. (sighs) But I've got this. We've gotten this far. (laughs) You are doing fantastic. We've gotten this far. (laughs) That's going to be my motto. For the first time in a long time, actually have like a little mini intro article that I want to read because we I think decided basically like only if it really inspires us should we yeah plan on it and not that this super inspires me necessarily but it's very on brand for us so <laughs> yay I'm excited uh, it makes me excited um since we are talking about spooky things um and since I already did an episode about one of the most famous screen qu- scream queens Jamie Lee Curtis I was really Excited when I saw that Variety posted an article that was titled Horror Icons, Jamie Lee Curtis and Nev Campbell compare notes on their reigns as scream queens. Ooh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, and, and Nev Campbell I, did scream. Scream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And uh, they, it was another role that made her career, really. She had uh, just started doing Party of Five, but she was certainly by no means a a star before then. Um, right. Drew Barrymore, as Alex will tell you, was the most famous person in the movie Scream. And That's she was so only crazy. in the opening scene. Oh, my God. Oh, Drew. So, and that was like 1996, maybe? Ish. Five? I think so. Something It might like say that. in this article. <laughs> and and that's where we got Ski Ulrich, right? Or did he yep. come earlier? Well, either way, he's on Riverdale now. He plays Jughead's dad. So you can thank Scream for gems like that. But this is a piece written by Meredith Werner. Um, and it's quite brief. Um, but in it, mostly what they talk about is some of their grievances uh, as women in the entertainment industry and the lack oh. of respect in horror. Anyway. so All right. It says, it starts, the Laurie Strode-Sydney Prescott horror movie crossover of your dreams happened over a Zoom call. Variety convened the stars behind the iconic films Halloween and Scream, Jamie Lee Curtis and Nev Campbell, for a legends-only talk about their rare positions in Hollywood as franchise leaders and to compare notes on their decades rebooting and revitalizing their slasher films. Damn. They are, on the whole, thankful for the time they spent smeared with what they call sticky stage blood, <laughs> as the genre kickstarted both their careers. Two really grateful scream queens here, Curtis says, after previously showing off her Michael Myers face mask. 
the oh like a, a, a medical mask, not the actual mask that Michael Myers wears, but oh, a, a Corona mask. Um, oh, that was hard really to tell loud. these days. I know, right? However, they're certainly not afraid to discuss the sexism they endured in terms of compensation, in spite of playing the hero for so many years. Mm-hmm. Both. Both the Scream and Halloween franchises generated more than $600 million at the box office, launching multiple sequels and solidifying Ghost Faces uh, and Myers' place as top shelf villains. Myers' place? Anyway, that, those double S's. Um, I got you. While that brought in major cash for the local spirit Halloween store and took over prominent space in pop culture, how did their female leads fare? Mm. Quote, the truth of the matter is, I didn't really make much money off of the horror movies, Curtis says. Look, we're actors, so we already make more money based on the little work we do. It's hard to ever say, I didn't make a lot of money, tell that to a teacher or a nurse. But as a young actress, I did not. I did not have ownership in the movies. There was no profit participation, there was no back end, and there was no large amount of money made by me. She didn't get royalties or anything? I don't, I don't, the back end means like if you're a producer, I think, is what she's implying. Like she doesn't get money after it comes out. She's paid once at the beginning and then doesn't see any part of the profit, even though it's a huge success. Crazy. Um, Yeah. As such, Curtis saw a disconnect between the film's success and her own. Quote, obviously someone was making a lot of money. It was not me, she says. Mm -hmm. And it was only in the latter years, the H2O and 2018 Halloween, which, by the way, we made for scale, which scale is literally the union minimum. Whoa. So she made these like giant films. I mean, because they were giant compared at least to the first one, right? Yeah. I mean, the budgets were higher. That's for sure. And still making, I mean, still doing it out of love, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, in a big way. And feeling they kind of owe it to the fans because they know the characters are beloved and right. all of that. Yeah. Um, Campbell God. says she had the same experience, saying that on Scream 3, she, quote, did all right, but no back end. There's always the promise of back end. And then, mm-hmm. of course, it's drowned in publicity and costs and all the reasons they say, oh, actually, no, we didn't make the amount of money that we're claiming we made in the press. So we don't have to give you that. Uh. Unfortunately, it was all the Weinsteins. <gasps> oh. mm-hmm. They produced them. Oh, my so, God. The struggle for equal compensation for starring women, like many battles in Hollywood, is a systemic issue. Quote, the industry has no problem when a man makes millions of dollars on something that's a franchise, says Curtis. We as a society go, good on ya. But then if a woman says, well, I would like that same piece of the pie, I think people would think you're being greedy or you're not being grateful. As if somehow we women just have to be grateful for the opportunity, which we already explained that we are. Oh, God. Campbell agrees, saying simply, we'd like to make equal, adds Curtis, We have both worked for many, many, many years to continue our careers. At some point, it's okay to say, no, I'm going to get paid this or I'm not going to be able to play in your sandbox. Damn straight. Despite their mutual aversion to the medium, Campbell was scarred by a sleepover screening of The Changeling. And as we talk about in our Jamie Lee Curtis episode, she had the same experience watching The Exorcist on her 15th birthday. Oh, yeah. But they both hold horror in the highest regard. Quote, They did great things for my career, great things for my life. I had fun on them, says Campbell of her Scream films. 
Neither actor could see, uh, nope, starting again. Neither actor could foresee the ripple effect these genre pioneering movies would have on the films that followed. It's a legacy that's stretched for decades, with both stars recently returning to their characters. Curtis revives Strode for the 2018 Blumhouse Halloween sequel with two more films to follow. And Campbell will return to Woodsboro this year for Scream 5, which I assume means they're about to shoot it. Damn, Scream 5? And didn't uh-huh. they do a TV show too? She they might did. not have been on I, it, but... I don't think she was. Um, That's crazy. She, I don't think she was on the, the TV show, and I haven't seen the TV show, but literally all of the movies are good. Yes? She was not in the show. But all of the movies are fantastic. Okay. I am shocked, actually. I've never actually. seen them. Like... I saw them for the first time last year, I think. And uh, I would like to rewatch <gasps> at least the first one because they're really good. I don't know. They're just really good horror movies. Um, are they on, like, Netflix or anything? Do you know? Uh, I think they were on Netflix last year. I don't know if they're still on Netflix. Okay. I'll check. Um, but could be. Um, yeah. On the first film, none of us were anybody, says Nev Campbell. Courtney Cox was in her first year of Friends. I was in my first year of Party of Five. Matthew Lillard, David Arquette, Jamie Kennedy, Rose McGowan, all of us got careers afterward. We were just young and innocent. I remember sitting around a bonfire and thinking... Do you think if people see this movie that there might be a Halloween costume? Nah. <laughs> Can you? Because Ghostface is oh so God. prolific now. Like that's one it's of the iconic. most famous, uh, like um, masks that pe- young people like to wear, which makes sense. Yes. Um, yeah, given probably that the movie's more famous. About high schoolers. Maybe even more famous than Jason. Yeah, I think it is. I With mean, young people, kind of anyway, like, millennials yeah. and below. Mm-hmm. Um, crazy and that yeah and then it just talks about what you hear about in our Jamie Lee Curtis episode about how Jamie Lee Curtis didn't expect Halloween to be a success and how she was very excited it was her first big role and uh, she was just happy for the opportunity anyway go listen to that episode uh, but that's that's it but I, there's a, also a video on variety.com about it ooh. yeah of, of them that. talking to, to one another yeah, send that to me so that we can share it with everybody. Because I would like to see that, too. I, I love watching people in the industry, in that industry, talk to each other about being in that industry. Mm-hmm. Like, Variety does a lot of, of um, videos like that. And I always just find it so interesting. It's like, you know, because these people are artists. And at the same time, they still have to talk about the fucking like industry, the business experiences that they've had and had to deal yeah. with. And uh, I don't know. It's really fascinating. And I feel like it must be such a relief now that Nev Campbell can just be like, yeah, the Weinsteins fucking suck oh, <laughs> without God, worrying yes. about being struck with libel because obviously everybody knows <laughs> the Weinsteins suck, Harvey in particular. Yeah. Who doesn't know that now? God, they live under our They rock, know it's but... not libel. It's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's been convicted. So it's yeah. Now it's just truth. So God, I know it must be such a relief for so many fucking people to mm-hmm. say something. Mm-hmm. That's really cool, though. I love that they got to talk to each other about that. And it's interesting how many people horror movies like launch their careers, even though mm-hmm. we look down on horror so much, or at least we used to. I think I think now it's very different, but even just five plus years ago, we really looked down on horror and we didn't think of it 
very highly. And yet it still it was something you did often to launch a career, I think, for a lot of actors. Especially for women. Yeah, especially for women. We, we talk about it in that episode, how it's like one of the few places where young women can get a leading role. Yep. In movies. I, um, I, I don't know if I shared it with you, but I found a really good article or a really good um, video essay on YouTube that someone did. I'm going to have to link to it in our show notes because it's very good. Um, but it's all about, I think it's called girlhood and monsterhood or something like that. And it is all about that, how how women are the focus of horror and why and what they deal with mm. as, you know, in their, what their characters deal with and um, some of the the terrible ways that horror treats its female protagonists and some of the ways that horror is used to like dissect and identify specifically um, female and, you know, feminine problems and and issues like teeth, Mm -hmm. for example, which is a horror movie about, you know, a young woman um, dealing with sexual assault and consent and having a very horrific bodily condition that makes those situations different for her than for other people. I think you can guess, based off of the name of the movie, what we're talking about. <laughs> yep. Yep. And so I'll, I'll link to that because it is a really good essay about the exact thing that you're talking about. It's one of my favorite um, things to explore and like women's role in general in horror as oh, a yeah. genre. It's like something I've newly become fascinated with thanks to my, you know, relationship with a horror nerd. Yes. And and feminist. <laughs> yeah. And I think doing this podcast, too, I think can, I don't know, make that also happen. But because I wasn't really interested in horror before. Yeah. It was something I was trying to explain to my mom because I was saying we were, we were going to watch some scary movies and and she doesn't like horror at all. She just doesn't like gore violence. She doesn't like any of it. And so she doesn't quite understand uh, like why yeah. I would. She does, but doesn't. And I think it's kind of weird to her in a way that I've become so into it when I think it's probably as a result of the fact that I never watched it growing up. And so now I'm like, holy shit, I have so much to catch up on and no childhood association with it. Like we just watched uh, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street for the first time. I'd never seen it before. And I, I was like, I'm into this. This is this is really cool as a film and really weird. And yeah. Whereas like I have issues with dolls because I saw Chucky when I was 8 and have never looked at dolls the same way again. In fact, we just finished watching The Haunting of Bly Manor and this is a little bit of a spoiler, but if anybody has issues with dolls, go in with an understanding that there are some creepy fucking dolls in that show. And it's not rational, but it's because that's a thing that really um, terrified me as a kid because of horror movies, because of that specific horror movie. And so I do wonder like what my perception would be if I had never seen it. And I'd probably uh, probably be a lot the more same. Fine. <laughs> I don't know, because <laughs> yeah. I've never seen 
any of the Child's Play franchise, and I didn't have to. When I was a kid, I had a recurring nightmare about dolls. And I I remember it exactly and and exactly how it goes, or at least the, the climactic scene, as it were. It's like it's in my grandpa's house, in his living room. And it's like it's been daytime the whole day. And I just like go into this room and suddenly it just goes dark outside. And then these fucking dolls start coming out from the corner with knives in their hands at me. My grandpa didn't even have fucking dolls. I don't know why. But I had that dream so many times that it's so cemented in my brain, even though I haven't had it in a long time. I had no idea because I had a recurring doll dream that also terrified me. I didn't know you were afraid of dolls. That's so crazy. I have I have dolls. I, I don't know. There's like certain Ooh. ones that look creepy to me. But I had porcelain dolls and I loved them when I was a kid. Not a ton, but, you know, enough. Yeah. I Yeah. Apparently my mom and, and I think my fear predates Chucky a little bit because my mom bought me a very nice porcelain doll apparently when I was like six and I wanted nothing to do with it. And you know, so she hid it in the garage. <laughs> I mean, and, those movies ugh. were made for a reason. And it's clearly because there was an already established, like some kids just have, like, have you seen old toys from like a hundred years ago? They're fucking terrifying. And I'm yes. like, it, some kids probably see their toys and it scares the shit out of them. And then yeah. they're never able to not associate that with something creepy. It's that uncanny valley thing. It's just like, it's too, yes. it's just too much. Yes. Uh, You almost see the life in it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, to go back to Bly Banner, just, like, be careful going in because there is a little bit of that. Like, they do play on creepy dolls. This definitely Um, has a name. What is Fear of Dolls? Fear of Dolls. Oh, gross. It's called pediophobia. Boo. That creeps me out. The name just creeps me out. (laughs) Yep. Doesn't that... Is that not fear of children? Maybe they're the same thing. I don't know. For me, they are. That's fair. Mm-hmm. It's a type of phobia known as a specific phobia, an irrational fear of something that poses no actual threat. Says you. Yeah, whatever. They Okay, there is a fucking mannequin in this apartment that I am sure is going to come to life and kill us in our sleep. Haunted. It's going to happen. Wow, we really are going to be double, double, quadruple uh, stuffed, stuffed in this Oreo <laughs> of an episode. Because we're just going off on all sorts of topics. We haven't even gotten to But at least it's Halloween y. It is. It's, it's, all, it's all on theme, even if it is yes. off topic. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on on our our Patreon. Patreon. (laughs) Oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Well, we can get back onto topic. I can tell you about um, 
a, a spooky lady, if yes. you'd like. Oh, yes, um, please. Okay, I will do that then. This is somebody or a, a type of person we've only talked about, fuck, maybe only once when when you did Linda, what's her face? Who Hazard. Was, who, Hazard, yes, Linda Hazard. Um, we don't really talk about bad people very often. We don't talk about like murderers and manipulators. But I thought we it might say be a good we time do, for but, that. but we don't as much as we say we or we think we do. We at least we at the very least have allowed for the possibility up yeah. till now. Like we've well, done a good job. Because most of the I time, think. it's like some sort of maligning of a woman's character who has a bad reputation, but maybe necessarily wasn't as bad as people say. Right. Like that's Elizabeth what a lot Bathory. of uh-huh. everybody should go re uh, go listen to that episode. Yeah, because it's so good. Yep. Um, And that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, she was somebody whose reputation says she is a horrible, murdering, awful person, but in reality might be a victim of, like, slander, basically, so that we all think she's a terrible person. Who is it? Who is it? Could it be? Well, I don't want to give away the twist if there are people who haven't listened to it, but then they won't know which episode it is. Go in, go. Go and go. Go and go. Go and go. Um, It's Elizabeth Bathory for anybody who hasn't listened to that episode. Yeah. Go listen to it. It's very good. Okay. Um, I'm going to tell you about somebody who I initially learned about when I was in New Orleans. And I was doing a tour I can't remember what the tour was called. I'm I if I find it again, I will link to it because it was a really good tour. So if people are visiting any time in the post-COVID world, maybe it'll exist again. Um, but it was about women in New Orleans. It was just a, a tour of the French Quarter, and they pointed out they were pointing out like, you know, this is the house where. Um, this person killed a lot of people and this was the house that burned down and now their ghosts haunt everything. Um, And so in an area called, today it's called the French Marketplace, we stopped and we learned about Mary Jane Jackson, AKA Bricktop. That was her nickname, Bricktop. Bricktop? Bricktop. And this was because she had a full mane of red hair that people felt was akin to the color of bricks. And so she had the name Bricktop. <laughs> Your face. <laughs> you don't, don't look super impressed with that name, but that's okay. Clever. Clever. So her nickname may have come a little bit from her being a violent person, you know, well, you Brick know, top redheads is, do have a, a reputation of being feisty and fiery and it's true. sometimes aggressive. It's very true. Um, so I took my information for the most part from ghostcitytours.com because they are in New Orleans and they have really good info about all of the people that they take, you know, they tell people about on tours. And then I found a really great blog from an author who 
did some good research in books that I don't have access to and then talked about it on his blog. So that is thingsamicthinksabout.wordpress.com. Um, yeah, I thought he did a really good job of like narrating some of the things that are only really found in text because there isn't a ton of information about her online, which is um, one of the reasons why I haven't done her before now because I actually forgot her name and haven't wasn't able to figure out who she was until like a random thing pointed me in her direction. Um, and I've had then, those moments. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. It's like sometimes you remember and sometimes you just like, it's serendipity that you find the information again, but, um, and then Murderpedia, which is a fabulous, uh, resource for, you know, serial killers and creeps, true crime stuff. So for creeps, exactly. And, um, yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to start a little bit setting the scene. This is from ghost city tours. And this is about the area. Today, known as French Marketplace, Gallatin Street was a two-block stretch along the Mississippi River that connected the U.S. Mint to the French Market and was home to all matter of vice and sin in New Orleans. Got a frog in my throat. A place wet and slippery with grime, disfigured row houses made of beaten wood planks, decorated with broken and unpainted shutters, windows dark, lined both sides of the street. Sounds cool. <laughs> yeah. The darkness of each unlit room was occupied by hundreds of New Orleans residents and immigrants. A visitor to Gallatin Street in 1873 wrote to the Times Picayune, uh, Louisiana Picayune. Someone yeah, who lives Picayune. in this area is going to have to tell me if this is incorrect, but they said. Squalor and misery are sleeping above in chambers so dark and damp as the cold pavestones below. I thought that set the stage nicely. It's very grim. I know. The underbelly of New Orleans met, conversed, and carried out their dark deeds here on Gallatin Street. Dangerous criminals, prostitutes, which both articles say prostitutes instead of sex workers, and given the time period, I'm just going to go with it. But, um... These days we say sex worker. So, you know, just going to put that out there. Um, Street gangs and con men of the 1800s in New Orleans resided on Gallatin Street. It was lined with cheap boarding houses, raucous dance halls, houses of ill repute, and dirty saloons, all practically stacked on top of one another. Gallatin Street was so dangerous and had such lack of order that one put their very life at risk walking the streets at night. And apparently even the cops were like, uh-uh, I'm not going to be there past dark. Wow. Like, I really don't want to like do that. It has to be real bad for just everybody to know. Like, you don't go there. You just don't. Unless you really want to look for trouble. People go yep. there to look for trouble. 100%. Any cops you found there after dark were there for their own trouble. They yep. were not there to arrest you. Um, one visitor recalled again in the times Gallatin street, a place where poverty and vice run races with want and passion. Mm-hmm. I like it. I had to that's a good it. line. Yeah. That's a good line. Um, the primary revelers of Gallatin street at the time were sailors who had easy access yep. to housing, drinking and entertainment of every kind because there was a port just down the street. 
And so that was also oh, part yeah. of why it was so crazy is because the port brought in not only sailors, but immigrants. And a lot of those immigrant women didn't get further than Gallatin Street. <sighs> you know, they, they, yeah, it sucks. Especially given how fucking crazy and dangerous it was. But it was also oh, yeah. because it was so populated with people who were like, I am here to have fun. It was a, a place to make money. So right. it was really a catch 22, I think, for a lot of women coming in through that port because, yep. you know, you could make yeah. money, you could stay. And yes, it was dangerous, but like, at least you had a roof over your head. Right. So the, um, the boarding houses, brothels and saloons were filled to the brim with the constant stream of men and women from the port. Venereal disease became rampant and spread quickly among sailors and prostitutes. Yep. That sucks. <laughs> yep. The damp wharves and deafening railroad tracks that lined Gallatin Street made the location unsavory to the majority of New Orleans citizens for housing. And in the mid-1800s, it was not uncommon to find entire families occupying the small rooms of these buildings together. Some of the rooms were used to raise chickens and dogs, while others were used as receptacles for the unused and damaged produce from the French market. So, like, just imagine okay. the fucking smell and just, like, the... I'd rather not. <laughs> the, the closeness of the people, the smell, and then, like, next door you had your brothels. And prostitution was New Orleans' second most profitable industry. Um, a study done in 1858 on sex workers stated that once women were in the industry, they died within four years, and at least 50% of them had venereal disease. If they didn't yes. die of the disease, then the violent acts committed against them by drunken patrons and angry bar owners did. Yeah. New Orleans newspapers at the time of Gallatin Street's infamy had a constant stream of published ads promoting potions, elixir, elixirs, and cure-alls for sexually transmitted diseases. And, yeah. Snake oil sales. Snake oil. All over the place. Um, and the Live Oak Gang earning their name from the oak clubs they carried around, as well as their meeting place near the river under the shade of the live oak trees, were some of the worst criminals in the area of Gallatin Street and responsible for most of the violence. But the worst clubs. citizens of Gallatin Street were by far the prostitutes who terrified even the live oak gang. I'm sorry? So... That brings us to Mary Jane Jackson, who was born around 1836, and by the age of 13, she was working in brothels in on Gallatin Street, in the worst area of the city. Oh, God. I know. No. Terrible. Poor baby. Fucking terrible. Um, after about a year I of I say working, poor baby now. I probably won't feel that way. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean... Maybe. <laughs> she... Took care of herself. I will just say yep. that. Okay, let's do it. So after about a year of working on Gallatin Street, Jackson... So she's quickly, 14. She's 14. She quickly became a favorite of the men in the district. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh-huh. And soon was romantically involved with the owner of a saloon. 
Um, okay. The relationship lasted about three years until having had his fill of the hot-tempered redhead, the bar owner threw her out. He was like, nope, I'm done with you. I'm tired of your shit. And she responded by- So she's by, what, 17 now? Yeah, she's 17. She responded by charging into the bar and beating her former lover so severely that she ripped off an ear and about half of his face. Oh my God. This was the first person, but definitely not the last person that she fucked up on Gallatin Street. <laughs> God. So, Mary Jane Bricktop Jackson went back to working various brothels in the city, but she stayed in none for very long. Her violent temper and skill at fighting, well-researched reports indicate that she never lost a single brawl against a man or a woman during her time on Gallatin Street. Um, So she terrorized the other girls, and she was sent packing over and over again. So... Finally, she turned up in the one place where just about anything went, like anything was cool, anything at all, the notorious dance house on Gallatin Street. But Mary Jane proved too much even for the dance house and was eventually evicted. Oh my God. (laughs) Even the dance house, the worst of the worst, the place where you could do fucking anything. They were like, The West world of New Orleans. The West world of New Orleans. And they were like, Mary Jane, you're way too fucking out there for us. You gotta go. (laughs) Oof, yikes. Yikes. And so she was like, all right, I'm going to freelance. And that's what she did. She freelanced. Which, obviously, without the protection of a brothel, would have been very, very dangerous, especially in the roughest parts of New Orleans. But, you know, she could take care of herself. And I guess she had a special weapon made to carry around. And it was it was a handle. There was a handle. And then on each end, there was a five inch blade. So it was a double sided or double ended blade. Two five-inch blades on either side of this handle. So didn't matter which way she was holding her hand. If she wanted to fucking stab you, she could. Jesus. Just like seriously. She, this woman knew that she wanted to fuck some people up. Just, you know. Uh, yeah. You'd have to. Yeah. So. Like people who buy ARs. ARs? Oh, yes. Yeah, exactly. You're only buying it either as a toy or Mm -hmm. to fuck shit up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm sorry, but you can't. Fuck people up in particular. Fuck people up in particular. Exactly. That's what it's made for. That's what it's made for. And that is. Just like a double ended five inch blade on each side (laughs) of a handle. It's made to fuck shit up. It's made to fuck shit up. And I mean, granted, like. She was freelancing sex work. She needed to be able to protect herself. But this was a woman who at 17 beat her fucking ex-boyfriend to a, to so badly that he lost an ear with her bare hands. Presumably he had like quite a number of years on her if she was 14 when they started dating and he already owned the saloon. I would think so. I would think he would so. have had to at least be in his 20s, right? At least. Yeah. And so I feel like the knife is a, a maybe a solid precaution 
for you as someone who is going into a dangerous line of work. But I also think she liked the idea of being able to use it on somebody. That's just yeah. my personal, my personal opinion. Um, you feel badass. Yeah. And, you know, she had a chance to fucking use it in 1856 when some dude called her a whore to her face and she clubbed him to death. And then a year later used her knife. Yeah, she used her knife. She clubbed him to death. I don't know with what. Like, maybe he was a live oak gang guy. I don't know. And there was a club nearby. But yeah, she fucked this guy up. And then a year later, she got into an argument with a guy who, according to legend, was nearly seven feet tall. I don't know if that's actually true, but he was nearly seven feet tall. And she stabbed him to death with her with her knife. Apparently, the argument was uh, like the stupidest argument I could ever think of anyone having. He thought that if she stabbed him, he would fall forward. And she was like, um, no, if I stab you, you're going to fall backward. And so she stabbed him so that they could settle the argument. And he fell forward and died. So, you know, argument settled. Yep. They knew yes. the outcome. So, so he won the argument, but died. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, so what, what a way to win an argument, right? Oh, God. So, you know, by this time, as I, I'm sure anyone could imagine, her reputation preceded her. Wherever she yeah. went, they were like, oh my God, that's, that's her. But apparently there were those who did not know of or were not cowed by her reputation, by knowing who she was. And one okay. such gentleman took exception to her one evening to the language being used by her and a pair of companions as they sat at oh, a bar. Oh, sake. Mm-hmm. The women ignored him, but when he told them to shut up, Jackson told him to mind his own business or she'd cut his heart out. And this guy walked <laughs> over to the table, slapped her oh, in the face. No. Yep. And by the time the dust had settled, by the time all of the events that were going to take place had taken place, uh, a bar employee who had tried to stop the fight with a gun had been beaten with bricks. A bystander who had tried to intervene had been so severely cut that he had had to retreat. And the man who slapped her was dead on the floor. (laughs) Yeah, that, yeah. I knew that was coming. Yep. I mean, crazy that, like, not only him, she didn't just, she didn't just stab him. She went, she was like a hurricane and hurt all these people around her before this guy ever fucking hit the ground. I'm sure that other people in the bar, when he, like, was walking up to her and they knew he had, like, violent intent, were like, no, 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 Do not. No, no, do not do it. No, don't engage with her. At, ooh, too late. And he did it anyway. He's and he's dead. And now we are all afraid. And apparently a pocket, one of his pockets, was found under her skirt by a cop. I don't really know what the deal is with that, but she, like, she had like cut well, his she pocket out. Cut his, cut his pocket out so she could have the money or whatever. Was <clears throat> yep. 
And so they found the pocket on her, and that was used as evidence to charge her with murder. And she was thrown in jail. But, shockingly, the trial never happened, despite the pocket and despite the fact that several eyewitnesses had seen her kill this guy. Because, apparently, a coroner's inquest could not determine a cause of death. They determined uh, that the cause of what? death was heart failure. What? Batshit. It's fucking batshit. I don't know how they came to that because he was clearly stabbed several times. But they determined it was heart failure and she was let free. Wow. I know. New Orleans in the eighteen mid-1800s. Insane. And so she was back on the streets, but she had made a friend in prison. Some guy named John Miller, who was one of the prison guards who had guarded her. Oh, I was going to say. Yeah. Uh He was a guard. He had guarded her. And when she left prison, they left together. Um, What's crazy about him is he apparently lost an arm in a bar fight and lacking a prosthetic had instead attached a spiked iron ball and chain to his stump. No fucking way. Way. That is what happened. Was he able to be a prison guard with that? (laughs) I don't. I do not know. I don't know. I don't know if it happened, if like he, if he got this before he was a guard or after. But either way. Maybe they thought it was, it was good. I don't know. Yeah, I mean. A long time ago. They probably didn't have standards. It was like, yeah, that would scare the prisoners. Yeah, I mean, New Orleans feel like, at this time, it feels a little bit lawless, you know? And so maybe it was, maybe it was a a thing they liked about him. Who knows? But. Jesus. Either way, while he and Mary were running around together, he had this crazy spiked ball on the end of a chain attached to his where his arm used to be um and so what would happen is mary would continue her street work and lure unsuspecting men into various back alleys and then when she got there miller and his iron ball and chain would set upon them give them a beating and then the pair would make off with any valuables that they could find on the person that is rude Mm -hmm. yeah super not nice and, um, but it was going well for them. They were making a lot of money. <laughs> uh, until one fateful day when John Miller clearly forgot um, who he was dealing with. And. Oh no. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> In 1861, she did something to upset him. We don't know what it is. And he decided he was going to, you know, teach her a lesson once and for all. And he came home with a bullwhip with the intention of whipping her into submission. Um, Instead, what happened is she handily took the whip from him and then whipped him. And once he was beaten bloody, he tried to attack her with his iron ball and chain. Mary grabbed the ball in midair and used it to drag him around the room while continuing to thrash him. And oh my God. <laughs> finally, at the nearing the end of this altercation, Miller pulled a knife, 
Jackson bit him so hard that he dropped it and then she stabbed him with it and killed him. Oh my God. Psychotic. I mean, that is, I have never, I've never heard, I've never heard a story like that. And let me like guess, that. she got off because it was self-defense. Shockingly, no, because I think it was okay. pretty clear from his mangled fucking body that she that had was... like straight up just thrashed him to death. Um, Jeez. Yeah. At one point, I think it probably stopped really being self-defense. Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know. He did have an iron so. ball and chain. So who knows? This time, though, she was definitely going to prison. Uh, she got a 10-year sentence and was sent to the state penitentiary. But by the time she had served nine months, Union troops had occupied New Orleans. So this was Civil War era. And the newly appointed military governor, General George Shipley, began systematically emptying the prisons with a series of blanket pardons. And she got one. What? What? I and I don't know why. I don't know why they would just start emptying all the prisons, but I'm guessing for like Confederate prisoners? Maybe? Like they needed room? Um, I don't know. Either way. Dang, this woman is lucky. So I mean, fucking lucky. I mean, you yes. could argue a lot of other circumstances are not so lucky, but Yes, it's very true. At 14. But that's a real deus ex machina situation you've been let out of prison twice because like the first time your murder was dubbed uh, like a result of heart failure (laughs) yeah and the second time it's just like oh we're just letting everybody go we don't really care what they did we're just cleaning this place out okay sure so at 25 years old she um, had four murders to her name and <laughs> m- more stabbings, to be sure, because of her, her handy knife. Um, and she was let go and disappeared into the night, and we never fucking heard from her again. Weird. That, that was the end of her died. story. Yeah, I have no idea. Or she became someone else and terrorized a, a different area, and we just... I don't know. We just attributed it to someone who we've never connected to Mary Jane Jackson, potentially. But yeah. Um, but either wow. way, yeah, she walked out of that prison and out of history. So that's insane. I know. <laughs> so that is what a Mary, woman. Mary Jane Bricktop Jackson, crazy killer of New Orleans Gallatin Street. Red light district wow. of the antebellum New Orleans era. Wow. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Cheers with my last sip of water. There you go. <laughs> there you go. So that's what a what a mind fuck. Yeah, that's what I've got. I thought that was a little different <laughs> than what we've what we've been doing because I love our witches and I love our you know maligned women. But I felt like maybe it was time to do someone who actually did something really fucked up. And you inspired me with Linda Hazard all those months ago. And I did the Australian lady kingpins. You did. They were not very nice either. They were not very nice either. Okay, so you're 
on top of it and I'm catching up. Part two of the double stuff. Part two. Part two of the double stuff. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, the origins of the Bloody Mary ritual. Oh, mm-hmm. okay. Yeah. I'm fucking down for that. Yeah. Um, just like a brief little primer. I saw some really cool like JSTOR articles that actually talk about like why preteens, like why that certain age group participates in rituals meant to make you afraid. It's like a a thing that's been around for most of human history. And and so, yeah, it's just, you know, you have to pay money because I'm not a college student to get into JSTOR. But I was like, this sounds really cool. Oh, yeah. Um, Did you um, did you ever do stuff like that? Hell yeah, I did all the time. Bloody Mary? Yes, I did Bloody Mary. And then I would just invent some. I remember Addie and I used to try and scare each other um, just by acting creepy oh, yeah. in the silhouette and then, like, running at each other. It's so silly. <laughs> like, total 12-year-old stuff. But anyway. Oh, trust me. Yeah, no, I was engaged in, like, some crazy, crazy yeah. scares. Remind me to tell you about my best prank of all time, which does take place in a graveyard and me pretending to be a ghost. Oh, damn. So. Okay. One day. One day. We'll talk about it. Okay. But yeah, preteen scares. I'm on board. Yes. So let's let's talk about it. Um, My sources this week um, are Snopes.com, which is a piece on there by David Mickelson. Allthat'sInteresting.com by Chrissy Howard and SmithsonianMag.com by Mylan Solly, also Wikipedia. Sweet. All right. So historically, the divination ritual encouraged young women to walk up a flight of stairs backward, holding a candle and a hand mirror in a darkened house. Whoa. Okay. I never did any of that. Right. Me either. Never heard of this. As they gazed into the mirror, they were supposed to be able to catch a view of their future husband's face. There was, however, a chance that they would see a skull or the face of the Grim Reaper, indicating that they were going to die before they would have the chance to marry. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's so fucked up. Yeah, it is. And so I don't know when it shifted, but in the ritual of today... Bloody Mary allegedly appears to individuals or groups who ritualistically invoke her name in an act of catoptromancy. Don't know how to fuck to say it. It means divination through mirrors is what that word means. So that is fucking cool. And I now that I know that I'm so excited. So happy. Catoptromancy. 
Um, Catoptromancy. Yeah. And it's done by repeatedly chanting her name into a mirror <coughs> placed in a dimly lit or candlelit room. In some traditions, the name must be repeated 13 times, which I'd never heard that. For me, it was five. Um, no, yeah. It says, or some other specified number. The Bloody Mary apparition allegedly appears as a corpse, witch, or ghost that can be friendly or evil and is sometimes covered in blood. Interesting. I didn't realize that there was any version in which she was friendly. No, I've never heard that. I thought she was always malevolent. So, yeah, I'd never heard that she could be friendly. For me, it was always malevolent. Um, Yeah. The lore surrounding the ritual states that participants may endure the apparition screaming at them, cursing them, strangling them, stealing their soul, drinking their blood, or scratching their eyes out. Some variations of the ritual call Bloody Mary by a different name. Apparently, there's Hell Mary and Mary Worth, which are two popular examples. Never heard of that. Um, Mary Worth? Yes. Which is apparently a big one. Interesting. Yeah. one of You would say, I don't believe in Mary Worth. She's a witch. Apparently, but nobody in like I don't think she's an actual historical figure. Anyway. Oh my god. And there's a modern legend. I love this shit. Yeah, there's a modern legend in Japan, uh Hanako san, which strongly parallels the Bloody Mary mythology. Ooh. So research into the ritual um goes back apparently to nineteen seventy-eight when folklorist Janet Langlois published an essay on the legend. Langlois, that's a weird last name. Um Belief in summoning the mirror witch was, even at that time, widespread throughout the United States. So, yeah. Um, The Avenging Spirit can also go by, so there's Bloody Mary, Bloody Bones, Hell Mary, Mary Worth, Mary Worthington, Mary Wales, Mary Johnson, Mary Lou, Mary Jane, Sally, Kathy, Agnes, Black Agnes, Aggie, and Svart Madame. I'd literally only ever heard what? Bloody Mary. But it's insane. No, yeah, I've never heard of any of there's these. There's so many. Um, pers- it's weird how many of them are W's, like Worth, Worthington, Whale. Yeah. Well, that's so strange. Yeah. I think maybe because it's witch. I'm not sure. Um, oh. Precise requirements of the ritual obviously vary. Some specify the mirror must be illuminated by a single candle. and others, there must be a candle on each side. In some versions, the message to Mary is repeated by just one girl who's either a volunteer or one selected by the others to summon up the mirror witch. And the number of chants obviously mm-hmm. vary. Um, what she does upon arrival varies. We talked about that. Um, one of them is she can drag girls back through the mirror to live with her. No. Oh, that's scary. It is said that Mary was a witch who was executed a hundred years ago for dabbling in the black arts or a woman of more modern times who died in a car accident in which her face was hideously mutilated. Um, Some confuse the mirror witch with Mary the first of England, whom history remembers as Bloody Mary. I was taught that it was the same. Mary. That's me too. Mm-hmm. That was what I had. But you and I are both from Colorado, and so maybe that was like our colloquial yeah. version of it. Yeah. Um, an expanded version of that confusion has it that this murdering British queen killed young girls so she could bathe in their blood to preserve her youthful appearance, but that legend is actually Elizabeth Bathory. Oh my God. Uh, episode 34. <laughs> People just hate women. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. But let's focus. I want to focus on Mary the first of England for a hot second because she was for me who this apparition was. Um, yes. So the unfortunate nickname of Bloody Mary that she got was, of course, because of her persecution of Protestant heretics uh, whom she burned at the stake in the hundreds. But oh my god! It's I think it was, I didn't know it was that. like three hundred people total, I believe. Um, oh okay, but like that's better. I'm saying oh okay, like that's fine. But is it Sorry. is it a fair <laughs> historical portrayal? Because there's so many other, you know, monarchs who were killing at that. You know, anyway. Yes. She probably wasn't the bloodthirsty religious fanatic that posterity has bequeathed to us. Because um, while hundreds died under her reign, her dark legacy may have as much to do with the fact that she was a Catholic monarch succeeded by a Protestant queen in a country that remained Protestant. History, as they say, mm. is written by the victors. Yes. So she was born on February 18th, 1516 in Greenwich, England. She was not the long-awaited son that her parents, Henry VIII and Catherine of Aragorn, <laughs> his very first wife, had hoped for. But she did survive infancy and grew up in the public eye as actually a pretty beloved princess. And it was when she uh, became a teenager that things kind of went south. Um, this particular piece says her lifetime of shame over her own femininity began at the young age of 17 when her father annulled his marriage to her mother, frustrated by the lack of a male heir to the throne in order to pursue Anne Boleyn. Many people may know that. Um, this left the young Mary totally separated from her mother and forbidden from visiting her. And of course, her father also didn't visit her because he was with his new wife and wanted an heir. Yeah. Why did he care? She was declared illegitimate and downgraded from the title of princess to lady. She refused to acknowledge the validity of her parents' divorce or her father's status uh, as head of the Church of England when he broke from the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church would oh. not divorce him. So he was like, well, I'll be yeah. the new head of the church now. The Anglican Church. Um, and Mary d Fun. wasn't really into that. <laughs> um, so obviously Anne Boleyn disappointed everybody because she had Elizabeth and also could not produce a male heir. Um, oh, no. Yeah. But at the time, um, Anne Boleyn was obviously worried that Mary would want to interfere with Elizabeth's succession. Um, and so she pressed Parliament to mm. um, keep Mary illegitimate. And um, she succeeded at it. Um, oh. Which, of course, we all know Anne Boleyn was later beheaded for treason. <laughs> um yeah. Uh, but by that time, damage to Mary's name had already been done, and she stood last in line for a seat on the throne. Mm. And it was in 1536, after Anne's execution and Henry's marriage to his third wife, Jane Seymour, that Mary finally agreed to her mercurial father's terms and returned to court. And she was actually welcomed back to court with open arms at the time. Um, and she ended up surviving Henry and three more stepmothers, only to see her younger half-brother, mm. Edward VI, take the throne as a Protestant reformer, adopting a stance anathema to her fervent Catholicism. Um, Edward yeah. died six years later. He had always been a pretty sickly kid. Um, and um, he attempted to subvert his father's wishes by leaving the crown to Protestant cousin, Lady Jane Grey, 
ex uh, excluding those next in line, Mary and Elizabeth, from the succession. Um, though Mary could have sought refuge with her family members in Europe, she chose to remain in England and fight for what she believed was rightfully hers. And I think arguably as the eldest child of the king, the only, you know, there were no yeah. more boys. So I'm she had a pretty strong argument. Um, yeah, literally the only issue was religion. Well, yeah. And, you know, the fact I that mean, it was like, who's the legitimate baby? Um, yes. She eluded the armies of her antagonists and she rallied support from nobles across the country and she marched on London. She and Elizabeth both rode into England's capital side by side, one as a queen and the other as a queen in waiting. Um, oh. Something interesting that might also to lend to her um, nickname of Bloody Mary that has nothing to do with the killing of people. Apparently she, her whole life was plagued with um, terrible menstrual pain and irregularity in her cycles, um, which would be a cause for later physical and psychological distress later in life. Um, oh yeah. She was also known to be struck with deep and frequent periods of melancholia, depressive spells, and that would also stay with her throughout her relatively short life. Um, Despite all the odds and afflictions stacked against her, she eventually did take the throne in 1553 at the age of 37, and she promptly married Philip of Spain in the hopes of conceiving an heir to end any confusion and keep the country Catholic. Um, and this is where the origin of the Bloody Mary legend kind of started to take place. Um, she was starved for love and forever seeking the approval of her father. Um, and she would kind of replay this sort of pattern with her husband, whom she was like ready to lavish all of her frustration on and like all of her mm. frustrated emotions, her desire to be loved and also succeed in what was perceived as yeah. duty in the royal family, um, which was to have an heir. Her husband was yeah. uh, 10 years younger than her and apparently not really that into her. Oh. Um, he was she was, uh, I guess pretty matronly not particularly conventionally attractive for her time um and she was wow. 37 which was pretty old back in the 1500s as far as like wow. if you wanted to have a baby and if you wanted to you know that's i mean yeah people yeah. people died all the time at the age of 40 back then you know right um god and to be married to someone 10 years yeah Younger than you. Yeah. Which I think, if I'm not mistaken, Catherine of Aragorn was older than Henry because she was married to Henry's older brother first. And then he died. Oh. Yeah. Then he died. but And, well, well, and she well. was like, we never consummated. Can we still keep this marriage of, of political alliance? Okay. Now I'm married to your younger brother who's suddenly king and he never thought he would be. Oh, man. But now That's Mary's married to a younger man. Anyway. Um... He he did sleep with her, though, a few times because they wanted to try okay. and produce an heir. Uh, it was a, an expected yep. duty. And uh, two months later, Mary's greatest wish came true because she was with child. Um, she displayed the usual symptoms of pregnancy, including swelling of breasts, ever-growing abdomen. But the public remained suspicious of her recent good fortune. And it didn't take long for rumors of a false pregnancy to start circulating. Um, oh. Of course, it was a time without pregnancy tests and in which doctors couldn't examine a sitting monarch, apparently. So yeah. doctors weren't allowed up in oh. there. Um, right. So they were like too divine. Yeah, I guess. 
Um, like you're not divine enough to touch the monarchs? Yeah. Um, but only time would tell if the rumors bore any truth. Um, yeah. And so they waited. And um, in customary fashion, she went into a private chamber where she was confined for six weeks, which sounds terrible, um, before oh, her expected God. due date of May 9th. Um, May 9th came and went. The baby did not come. And both she and the servants around her proposed that perhaps there was a miscalculation of delivery dates and there was a new one set in June. Um, but like false reports almost immediately were spreading through the country, some claiming the queen had a boy, others stating that she died in childbirth. Um, others saying that her swollen midsection was a tumor. Um, despite the world of gossip growing around her, one thing could be confirmed around late May, her belly began to shrink. (gasps) Unable to explain or understand what was happening to her body, she continued to wait as those around her slowly lost hope. June and July came and went as her doctors extended the birth date even further. And by August, Mary finally left the confines of her chamber, childless and alone like never before. She apparently believed that God was punishing her for failing in a mission she had set out to achieve, which was about keeping the country Catholic. Um, At the time of her pregnancy, the people of England were, of course, divided between Protestants and Catholics. Um, But she actually generally speaking, navigated the manifold challenges associated with her status as the first English queen to wear the crown in her own right, rather than as the wife of a king, which is a pretty big deal. Um, It's a fucking big deal. She prioritized religion above all else because she wanted to implement reforms and restrictions because she really wanted to restore the Catholic Church's ascendancy in England, which to me kind of makes sense because her father created chaos when he split from the church. And it was yes. it was really violent and hard. And I think she just wanted to go, can we go back to the way that it was? Where we all agreed yeah. that God was one way. Right. It, Less bloodshed. Right. And so I, I, I have a feeling it's just my opinion that that's, that's what she was striving for. Um, yeah. She believed it was the true religion. You know, her dad invented his own. I mean, it was Christianity, but come on. It wasn't the same. But she knew why he did that. Yes, because he couldn't keep it in his pants. (laughs) Yeah. And he wanted a son really bad. Um, So she took action by signing an act shortly before Christmas in 1554 that would result in what was known as the Marian Persecutions, in which an estimated 240 men and 60 women were sentenced as Protestant heretics and burned at the stake, earning her the name Bloody Mary forevermore. Um, Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. And to this day, her story remains one of the most infamous cases of supposed um, pseudosiesis or phantom pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, it's basically they think you psychologically will your body into believing that it's pregnant when it's not. That is so heartbreaking. Yeah. That's so, so heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. I, and you even stop, and also, you stop like, having your period. God. Um, uh, yeah. How, and how, I mean, oh my God, bodies, bodies are incredible. And also that's terrifying. And the brain body connection. To have to deal with so that. so strange. It's like she wanted so badly to to be pregnant that she believed she was and started showing symptoms of it. 
She like manifested it. Right. Just without manifesting it. Uh, another possibility in God. her case could be something called endometrial hyperplasia, which is often a precursor to uterine cancer, um, oh. which also tracks based on her reports of low appetite and a lifelong history of menstrual irregularity. Um, yeah. Years later, she announced that she was pregnant again, although this time even her own husband remained unconvinced. Assured by the sure signs of pregnancy, she was later confirmed to have entered menopause and yet again did not deliver a baby. Oh, my God. She died the next year at the age of 42, presumably of uterine or ovarian cancer, but it was also a really bad flu season, so she could have potentially died from the flu. Um, Her name can still be heard today, chanted by children in dark bathroom mirrors the world over, all hoping for a terrifying glimpse of the ghost with no understanding of the real story of Bloody Mary. Um, The 300 religious dissenters that she had burned at the stake is that's the number that we know and associate with her. And but it's a statistic that even when it seems barbaric, her own father executed 81 people for heresy, and her half-sister, Elizabeth, also executed scores of people for religion. So why is Mary's name the one linked with religious persecution? Because, and not to excuse mm. any of it in any way, but it was a completely different time. And it's important to know that heresy was considered by all of early Europe to be an infection of the body that had to be erased so as not to poison society at large. Oh, all over I didn't know that. All over Europe, the punishment for heresy was not only death, but the total destruction of the heretic's corpse to prevent the use of their body parts for relics. Therefore, Heretics were burned and their ashes were thrown into the river. And Mary's choice of burning was completely standard practice for the period. So she really wasn't that different from any other ruler at the time who would execute someone for heresy, which they believed was a genuine disease. Um, Holy shit. <laughs> but I would like to point out that she set precedents and laid groundwork for initiatives, among others, financial reform, exploration, and naval expansion that would be built upon by her much lauded successor, Elizabeth. She uh. set up the systems and Elizabeth took them to a new level, but Mary was the one who, who initiated it, who got that ball oh rolling. Oh my god! Um, but she failed to fulfill arguably the most important duty of any monarch, which was producing an heir. Oh my God. Um, Fucked up. So speaking of maligned people, she just, her story, her life sounds so tragic to me. Um, And she, you do such a good job of like finding these people and then giving them the, I don't know, the the retelling of their story that explains everything. Thanks. <laughs> I'm know. certainly not the first or the best, but I, I like stories like this. Yeah, I like that you pick them because they're not necessarily things that I think to gravitate toward. And then you teach me interesting things. And it's it's interesting that you mentioned the heresy stuff because I I think I shared this with you, but I'm not sure. But I found a, a video um earlier this week about the origin of the witch's hat yes you sent it to me i haven't watched it yet 
it's fascinating because it talks a lot about Quakers, which as I was watching, I went, I should have known about the fucking Quakers because Deanna and I talk about Quakers and how amazing they are all the time on our podcast. Mm -hmm. And um, apparently they too were just reviled in in England at this time and um, or in their time around the time of the of the witch trials Mm -hmm. and they they wore a pointed hat and that was one of their you know uniforms Um, but they also were so out out there compared to their Catholic and Protestant you know brothers and sisters in the Christian community and they were considered heretics they were often accused of being heretics and witches and um i never realized that being a heretic in the eyes of people at the time was a disease like was a bodily problem Mm -hmm. and that explains so much and it it just gives a new weight to everything that was going on at the time. And it, it kind of puts into perspective, again, not not to excuse anything, but that it wasn't, we're punishing you by burning you or we're cleansing you by burning you. It was genuinely, this is the way we kill the disease and keep it from spreading. Right. Like, it's like a plague. I'm sure it was all those things, but it's interesting. Yes. Yeah. It is. It's really fascinating um, to have that part of it. But back to the uh, just legend, because that was just one yes. little piece of it, because that was the one that I found the most Crazy. compelling and I think the most frequently associated with her. I don't know. Um, yeah. Some people, at least for us, some people claim that Bloody Mary could have been Mary, Queen of Scots in the mirror mm-hmm. summoning ritual. Okay. Um, but history doesn't really know Mary, Queen of Scots, as a particularly murderous woman. She did apparently have a hand in doing away with a husband, but didn't go after her subjects Ooh. en masse, as did Mary I. Um, yeah. So although there was a British queen known as Bloody Mary, no connection between her and the mirror witch has really surfaced, save for their both having the same name. Interesting. Likewise, the Mary Worth appellation of the malevolent apparition doesn't appear to be drawn from the lead character of a popular comic strip of the same name. In lore, as elsewhere, mm. coincidences occur. Huh. So why would otherwise rational young people want to risk setting a murderous spirit on the rampage? <laughs> Uh, Gail, Gail DeVos offers the following explanation. Assume she's one of the many people who've written about this kind of thing. Um, why do children continue to summon Bloody Mary, flirting with danger and possible tragedy? The ages between 9 and 12 are labeled the Robinson age by psychologists. And it's the period when children need to satisfy their craving for excitement by participating in ritual games and playing in the dark. They are constantly looking for a safe way to extract pleasure and release anxiety and fear. Oh. It's possible these mirror witch games have their roots in old time divining rituals involving unmarried girls and their future husbands. 
<laughs> there are a number of variations of these divinations, some involving chanting a rhyme in a darkened room on a special night and then quickly looking in a mirror to catch a glimpse of the bridegroom to be. Um, the concept itself of mirrors as portals between this world and the realm of spirits shows up in other beliefs, namely yeah. those surrounding funerals. It was common practice uh, historically to cover mirrors in a house where a death had occurred until the body was taken for burial. Back in the days before funeral homes existed, corpses were washed by the deceased relatives dressed in their funeral finery and laid out in coffins in the front parlor of the home. Um, consequence, consequently, the dead body would be in the house for days. It was believed Ooh. it was believed if the dear departed caught a glimpse of himself or herself in a mirror, the ghost would remain in the house because the mirror would trap his or her spirit. Oh, so wow. it, the the lore is very it's a complex lore web. Um, but I know that I did have some creepy experiences when I did the Bloody Mary ritual. I certainly scared the shit out of myself. Um, <laughs> so there there are possible explanations as to why lots of people have stories of being creeped out Um you know, obviously staring in a mirror in a dimly lit room for a prolonged period can potentially cause you to hallucinate. I mean, it's low light. Mm. You can't see very much. Um, you can't see very well. And your eyes want to want to see something. So maybe they'll create something that's not necessarily yeah. there. Um, like facial features can appear to melt, distort, disappear and rotate. Uh, while other hallucinatory elements like animals or strange faces can even appear. Um, Giovanni Caputo uh, of the University of Urbino writes that this phenomenon, which he calls the strange face illusion, is believed to be a consequence of a disassociative identity effect, which causes the brain's re facial recognition system to misfire in a currently unidentified way. Ooh. That is like, even though that's scientific, that's still fucking creepy. Especially when they say we don't know why. Um, Ooh. But other possible explanations for the phenomenon include illusions attributed at least partially to the perceptual effects of Troxler's fading, which is what happens when you look at like magic eye books or you look at something oh, yeah. where they're like, look here for 20 seconds, then look at a white wall. So it could be some mm -hmm. sort of example of that um, and possibly even self-hypnosis. Oh, like we're just all going into the staring into the mirror and accidentally hypnotizing ourselves. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you I like are that. chanting and you're focused. Yes, that's very true. Um, but you have a thing that you're having to do. Mm hmm. But there you have it. That's a basic primer on the origin of the Bloody Mary ritual that many of us in Western culture, at least, uh, are so familiar with from our childhoods. God, that is so cool. I It's funny that I've never really thought about that, the origin of that story and that myth. But I definitely, when I was a kid, went in front of the mirror in the dark bathroom alone with my friends giggling outside. Oh, yeah. And, and it's you know, terrifying, said Bloody Mary it? into the mirror. And you are, yes, it's absolutely terrifying. It is one of the scariest things because... Because there is a part of you that believes she'll come out yep. and fucking hurt you. Yep. And 
I mean, I love that episode of Supernatural from like the very first season they ever did about Bloody Mary because they're, you know, they're playing on that. They're playing on that fear. And it's so smart because every young girl does that. Every fucking young child, primarily girls, plays that game. And I wonder if the reason why it's primarily girls is because it did evolve from that initial tradition where it had to do with seeing your husband. Yep. That would make so much sense. I I mean, and also it's for whatever reason, wouldn't you agree that it's girls who are more fascinated by the idea of ghosts and and the occult. And I mean, I certainly can't even as can't young children speak for too many uh, statistics there, but I certainly know that overwhelmingly the interest in true crime and shit, which I think is somewhat associated. I know a lot of true crime mm-hmm. people might be like, "Don't associate me with ghosts. Yes. I don't believe in that shit." But overwhelmingly, they are. There is a lot of overlap, and it is women yeah. who the big demographic of things directed and created uh, are for yep. them. Yeah. They're the consumers. It is us. <laughs> it is. It is so interesting. I, oh, that's just so cool. Yeah. That's so cool that you, that you looked into that. Cause I, it's just always been such a given, I think for me and for a lot of kids that that's just a thing. Yep. And we're never going to really actually question where it comes from or why. Right. And then you think about it and it's like, oh Yeah. There's so many different things this could be. What is this? Mm-hmm. I love that. But I'm with you. For me, it was always we we explained it to each other as, oh, well, it's obviously Bloody Mary, the queen of uh, of England. Like, duh. And I thought she was some, she was some crazy, maniacal religious fanatic. And, I mean, she might have been, but it kind of just sounds like she was trying to go for some sort of harmony after many years of 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 conflict yeah it doesn't seem super maniacal the way we've been taught i mean wasn't great but i mean a lot of monarchs killed but, a lot of people for no reason and yeah she just wanted to please god so that she could produce an heir it was like a bad cycle that is so sad. Mm-hmm. That's so sad. Yeah. Dude, that was really cool. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Spook and season. I love double stuffed Halloween episodes. <laughs> Spook and season. That's right. Yep. We've, we have spooked our listeners out. And uh, if you want to follow us on social media, we're on Twitter and Instagram uh, and Facebook. Uh, GWBB podcast. Uh, you can email us at GWBB podcast at gmail.com if you want to say hi or have any stories about cool feminine folk from history or not from history, from your own personal history. I don't know. Um, yeah. That's cool. Uh, you can become a patron of ours at patreon.com slash GWBB podcast. Or if you want to give a one time donation, you can buy us a coffee on Ko fi, K O fi slash GWBB podcast. Yes, ma'am. You have covered all of our bases, and uh, I think that it's safe enough to say have a super duper scary and happy Halloween. 
dress up and and, go. and hang out at home and live your best spooky life. And then fucking vote. Yeah, we did it. And if if our dumbasses can do it, you can do it. That's right. <laughs> and you have until Tuesday to make this happen. Make it happen. Cabin. So do it. Make it happen. Make us proud. And make us proud. And that's and assuming we'll that we're talking to after. our American <laughs> listeners. I know we have non-American listeners. So sorry. Well, that's That true. was very America-centric. But as I'm sure you're aware, <laughs> this is a very important election. So <laughs> I, I, think I hope you'll agree. forgive I us. I think you guys. <laughs> yeah, I think they know. <laughs> so happy Halloween. Go vote. We love you. Mwah. And uh, peace out, witches. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. to Good Witches, Bad Bitches. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is hosted by Deanna Greif. Me. You. And you. <laughs> Hannah Ferguson. And we're produced by Benjamin Garst. Um, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify. Google Play. Google Play. Pretty much more. anywhere you listen to your podcasts, you can find us there. We're also on social media. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook, GWBB Podcast. You can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh, shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash gwbbpodcast <laughs> become a patron and help us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe all of the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there, as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moon Bounce. Moon Bounce.